Welcome y'all to the eight. We are beginning a five-part series and I can't tell you how excited I am about this and how much I learned um, about this topic. But that video for a second, every time I watch it, this is my like, third time watching it, there's something just always annoys me about it. It's kind of funny but annoying all at the same time. Um, something that was funny, somebody described, they, I'm quoting from the video, wisdom is knowing a tomato is a fruit but not putting it in a fruit salad. That's the definition of wisdom. Knowing, wisdom is knowing a tomato is a fruit and not putting it in a fruit salad. Somebody said, wisdom is being mindful. Okay? What's mindfulness? You know? You, you and I might have an idea of what wisdom is. <laughs> Maybe you know you have an idea of what a fool is. Maybe, hopefully you're not sitting next to a fool, but you, you know, you have an idea of what wisdom is. You know what a fool is, right? Maybe you know someone who's wise or someone who is a fool, right? So we have an idea, but we have a hard time grasping the definition of what are these terms, right? And it just hit me now, Oprah, I mean, God bless her. I mean, she said, uh, you know, what will make you free is your truth and nothing but your, your truth will set you free. I mean, talk about a great twist from a timeless truth of, of God, but anyway, that's a different story. But as you can see, different worldviews, different personalities, different opinions have such a wide array of, explain, of explaining what wisdom is, right? It's, it's just a theoretical term, right? Some of us think wisdom is just having gray hair, right? Some of us, we think wisdom just means you're, being, you're, you're older, right? You've, you've gone through a lot of things, right? So we have a hard time grasping what wisdom is. So I just want to kind of cast a vision of where we'll kind of go for the, for the next five weeks, just in case I lose you, or, you know, for whatever reason you type to take a nap. Where we're going to go is have a clear understanding of what wisdom is, but with a capital W, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But let's start with definitions. I know I'm kind of going in circles, but I looked up what is wisdom, what is a fool, right? So here's the definitions. I'm not making this up. So dictionary says this. The quality, for, as far as wisdom is concerned, here's the definition for wisdom. The quality or state of being wise. Another definition. The quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. That's the definition for being wise. And then I looked at the definition, what, what's a fool? How do you define a fool? And they said, a person who acts unwisely, all right? So we're, we're all, we're good right now. Everyone understands wisdom and what a fool is. So, so this is the kind of the direction we're going to go in. By the way, this is kind of trivia, kind of Greek trivia. Does anybody know what's the Greek term for wisdom? Sophia, very good. Uh, so just yesterday, I, for those who might know, there's a couple that, that's part of our church family here named Timothy and Rebecca. Timothy and Rebecca. Uh, and they were pregnant. And then I open my phone and I get this text that they, have, they had a baby yesterday. Uh, yeah, and her name is Sophia, yeah. So I asked him, hey, congrats. Can I use your picture in the, in the hey talk? So Sophia, uh, the, the name Sophia is Wisdom. And we'll get later onto why Wisdom is personified with the name of Sophia. We'll kind of get into that over the next several weeks. But I thought it was a cute picture. I just want to share how the name Sophia is cute, but also is a common name. You and I have made decisions. I can guarantee you this. You and I have made decisions, and we look back. I'm sorry, let me, so we can get distracted. <laughs> you and I have made decisions, and we see things unfold because of our decisions, and we look back, and we say, why, why did I date him? Why did I make that decision? Why did I take that job? Why did I do this? Why did I do that, right? And then the words of Steve Urkel, did I do that, right? We look back, and we, and we, anybody know Steve Urkel? Yeah, okay, just make sure. 
Okay, stay vertical, yeah. So we kind of look back and we make poor decisions and we look back and we say, how, how did that happen? How did I get to this point? We've all done that. Sometimes it's at a mild level and sometimes it's extremely intense where it traumatizes us and rips us to our core where we look back, how did I make that decision? Or some of us, we don't want to take that on. We, don't want, we hate that. It's, it's overbearing to think that I made this poor decision. So what's the reflex you and I will do? It's because of him. It's because of her. It's because of my upbringing. It's because of my childhood. It's because of my mom. It's because of my dad. It's because of my coworker. It's because of my wife, right? It's easy to blame someone else, right? You and I might make a poor decision, but for us to own it and say, yeah, you know what? I made a dumb decision. It's hard. What's more attractive, if we're honest with ourselves, is that we want to blame someone else. This is why good questions that we ask ourselves will fuel good decisions. And by the way, I hope I don't lose you when I, when I put this out. I'm not sharing anything profound or anything out there today. I'm speaking straight to the head today because this is where we need to get to if we eventually want to get to the heart. But good questions will fuel good decisions. Good questions will fuel good decisions, right? You see this in reporters, you see this in newscasters, you see this in counselors. Good questions will naturally push us or lead us in the direction of making good decisions. But our reflex is we hate, we hate tough questions, right? It's a personal decision, right? Isn't that the reflex? Well, it's a personal decision. So we make it ourselves because we don't want to share that. But our, our, we'll get to this later. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. But our personal decisions that we make have public outcomes. Hear me out. The personal decisions in which we make naturally has public outcomes. But going back to the art of asking good questions, I cannot emphasize enough, this is critical for us to have less regret in our life if we master how to ask ourselves deeper and more personal and uncomfortable and stressful questions. I promise you, the better you and I will make better life decisions and have less regret. Anybody know who this is? Yeah, Barbara Walters. So growing up before, like, my family, before we started getting big in the church, Friday night was not church. Friday night, we just hang out at home, and we watch. Anybody know the name of the show? It's kind of 2020, right? I'm Barbara Walters, and this is 2020. I used to love watching it. I don't know why as a kid, why would I allow us to watch it? But I just like, I liked Barbara Walters. I liked the show because... Something I, I, I liked about Barbara Walters, I think she passed away this year, right? right? Yeah, so Barbara, when, when, one thing I liked about Barbara Walters is she was so good at asking questions at the right time, right? Like whoever she sat with, she knew how to ask the right question at the right time to lead the conversation in a certain direction. Like, I mean, that, that's her job, but she was just a professional at doing that. Barbara Walters was so good at asking questions at the right time, the calculated question, in order to navigate the conversation to a certain direction. For you and me, we're tempted to ask the safe question, right? We don't want the uncomfortable question, right? We, 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 may, we might even create distance between other people. We might even create distance within ourselves to avoid ourselves asking ourselves difficult questions. Sometimes we avoid that altogether because we want to play it safe because it makes us uncomfortable, it makes us insecure. So we might run away from difficult questions. So we're tempted to ask ourselves safe questions. But the more questions in which we ask before we make any decision at a micro level or a macro level, the more questions, the merrier. The more questions we're able to ask, the more equipped we are to, to making the right decision, and I promise you, for us to have less regret. You and I have experiences. I don't need to ask this in a question. You and I have experienced. We've made decisions, and we look back. How, did, how come no one told me? How come no one shed light on this? 
Probably somebody did, but we were blinded because it's a personal thing. I know what I'm doing. I know what's the best decision, and we go along with it. But the more questions we ask ourselves, the more people we invite with wisdom, with wisdom and discernment, the more people we invite to talk through certain decisions, the better off we are, the less regret you and I will have in our life. Let me just state the obvious once again. Personal decisions have public outcomes. Personal decisions, in which you say, well, this is private, this is personal, will naturally have public outcomes. Any decision you and I make is not just us. It impacts our, our relationships. It impacts every aspect of our lives. It's a personal decision if I want to smoke. It's a personal decision if I want to whatever. It's a personal decision. Whatever personal decision I want to eat Snickers for breakfast. It's a personal decision. That's, that's my body, right? It has nothing to do with you. It has public outcomes. It, has, it naturally has a public outcome because it, it's going to affect my health, which then is going to affect our, our marriage. It's going to affect my energy toward parenting. It's going to affect my energy toward for ministry. I'm putting myself at a higher risk, which impacts everything. It's a personal decision, 100%. You can't tell me not to have a Snickers. But it's naturally going to have a public outcome. So personal decisions have a public, or a public outcome. Personal decisions as well have a generational impact. Personal decisions, the label you and I give to the decisions we make, we think it's personal, has a generational impact. If Martin Luther King, if Abraham Lincoln, take, take anybody from history, take Martin Luther King. It, it, let's, say, let's say MLK said, you know what, the, 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 the tension as, as that's happening in our country, you know, let's just let, let's pray for them. We'll just kind of stay here and we'll just pray for them and, you know. Yeah, that personal decision not to take action has, public, has, has a generational impact. But him taking that decision to lead with boldness, to bring equality, has, has a generational impact. It, imagine Abraham Lincoln. Imagine people around him said, you know what? Let's forget about equality in the government and balance. Let's make you king. Let's make you the sovereign ruler of this new land. But for him to say, well, I don't know, but for him, for, for him to make a decision has a generational impact in which we get to have till today. So I, I'm showing these two big profound examples, but this applies to our daily lives as well. The decisions and you, you and I make in relationships, in marriage, in parenting, career, financially, sexually, you, whatever, it's not a personal thing. It has a public outcome and it has a generational impact. Apply this to anything, but we need to face reality because we, we romanticize the idea that it's a personal decision. We, 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 we build a, a dream that it's personal. There's nothing personal because everything is connected. We are relational beings. So every personal decision you and I make has a public outcome, has a generational impact. One thing that counselors are really, really good at, which I want to be better at applying this pastorally. I don't have the patience for it, but I need to be better at it. Counselors are really, really good at something. They're really good to guiding you and me at a counseling session by asking the right question and kind of leaving like breadcrumbs to get to a certain direction in the conversation. But they'll never tell you what you should do. You know, I wish I had the patience. For some people, I want to tell them, what are you doing? Break up with this person. Or what are you, like, I, I want to like, but no, I, I can't make that decision for them. So I, I, I want to guide them. Let me ask certain questions to guide them in a certain direction. But I can't just tell them, I, I mean, I have to be Christian, but I want to like to tell them in a blunt, direct way. But, but a, a counselor knows that if I just say 
something directly, the person's not going to be receptive for it. The person has to make that decision themselves. So how do I guide them? How do I navigate them? So counselors are so good at session after session pushing the, or navigating the conversation in a certain direction in order for you to make the wise decision. And maybe just the fruit of thinking out loud and, 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 and navigating that conversation allows us to get to the right decision. But you know what's the set of questions that you and I go through when we're uh, making decisions? Like, but th this sounds raw. This sounds selfish. It sounds like it sound, we sound egotistical. But honestly, if we kind of strip, if we kind of really look at our core, do you know how the, the raw questions, subconsciously, subconsciously, you know what's the raw questions you and I ask in our head when we're making life decisions? Here's the set of questions that you and I go through. But it sounds, I'm just going to warn you, when you see it on a screen, it's like, no, 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 I, I don't do that. I'm, tell, I'm telling you, you're going to see these questions, and you're going to convince yourself that you do not think like this. I'm telling you. You're going to convince yourself of why you're better than the person next to you, but you don't make decisions like that. But I promise you, at our core, it's a subconscious thing. We're tempted, and we naturally lean in toward making decisions by these set of questions. Will this make me happy? Will I enjoy this? I'm not really hurting anybody, so what's the big deal? Will anybody find out, right? Here's a collection of questions in which, it, it, again, it's so subconscious. It happens. It happens below the surface. And, and we make decisions. And then you know what's the best thing? We justify it. We justify our, our answer that we're going to do. We justify it. And you can build an entire narrative of why your decision is the best. You can convince yourself of why it's the best. You know, you, you, be, like you become almost like a, a, a car salesperson. You convince yourself of why this is the best buy, right? And you, you justify it. You're able to justify your decision because the reality is we lean in toward these set of questions and then we convince ourselves this is a wise decision, this is what's best, this is a personal decision, so forth and so on. We begin to decorate it and label it differently and then things begin to unfold. Things begin to implode. And then we don't want to blame ourselves. We begin to blame other people for the decision you made. The Bible, this is the Orthodox Bible. Because in early Christianity, when church leaders came together to determine which, which manuscripts will be part of the Bible, they chose a wide array of different books that became part of this collection called the Bible. So in the original Bible, which we label now as being the Orthodox Bible, there are certain books that are called the books of wisdom, the books of wisdom. And there's a collection of many of those books. But later on in church history, many church leaders, especially during the Protestant Reformation, removed many of those books. They kind of wanted to condense the, the Bible and remove some of those books. But as far as original, the fullness of Christianity is concerned, there are more books about wisdom in there. And one of these books is called the Book of Sirach. The book of Sirach, right? Not the drink, Sirach, but the, the book of Sirach, right? So this is what the book, I want to read apart from the book of, of Sirach. Do not follow your base desires, but restrain your appetites. Right? This is common. This is just like common, right? I mean, this is just good practical wisdom to live off of. Do not follow your base desires, but restrain your appetites. If you allow your soul to take pleasure in base desire. It will make you the laughing stock of your enemies. We live in a world, your social media feed, your, that YouTube thing that you want, everything around us, feed your appetite, 
follow your truth. Do what's best for you. I mean, Oprah, for crying out loud, you know? She's, she said, I mean, she's a god in America, really. And, and, and follow your truth. Do what's best for your appetite. No one should tell you no. You, you, have, to be, you have to be true to yourself, right? But here's a timeless truth. Centuries before Jesus, just timeless wisdom that, that you and I can lean in toward. Do not follow your base desires, but restrain your appetites. I, I, I shouldn't have the Snickers tomorrow morning. If you allow your soul to take pleasure in base desire, it will make you the laughing stock of your enemies. Basically, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. It's naturally going to come and, and haunt me if I just follow my base desires and I go along with them. You know what's the reality? You know what's the right thing to do. And I know what's the right thing to do. You know, like, whatever tension you might have right now in life or when you kind of look back at that poor decision, you knew. Like in, in your head, you knew. You knew the right thing to do. You know what the right thing is to do. But doing it is another thing. Like knowledge, knowing what the right thing is to do is one thing. But how you and I justify and dance around and move and navigate toward doing what we really want to do, there's tension. But really, at our heart, we know it's the right thing to do, but we justify it. We suppress that, that guilt. We suppress that, that prick of our conscience and suppress it. And we want to do really what we want to do, right? So knowledge is one thing, but the execution is something very different. Knowledge is one thing, but doing is another thing. And I would love to share with you, really, one of my favorite passages in which St. Paul, an apostle, a missionary, wrote to the city of Rome. And just stick along with me because... It's almost like a tongue, uh, tongue twister. It's a bunch of don'ts and do's. And just stick along with me. But he's so vulnerable. He's so vulnerable and so real how he talks about his struggle. Because I promise you, I promise you, I don't know all of you, but I promise you, you can relate to the words of St. Paul. I, I, I promise you, regardless if, if you're all into following Jesus or not, or you're questioning things, or I, I, I don't know all of you, I promise you, you can relate to the words of St. Paul here. He says this in a very vulnerable way. I do not understand what I do. <laughs> Wait, wait, just from the beginning, we do things, I don't understand, why did I do that? Why did I go there? Why did I make that decision, right? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. So what, what is St. Paul? It's kind of funny how he's writing it. Obviously, he's not writing in English, but it sounds, to me, it sounds funny in English, right? He's saying, I don't know what I'm doing. The thing I know I need to do, I can't get myself to do. Like, I know there is an ethical code. I know there's law. I know there's a rubric to life. I know it's good, but I, I, I just can't get myself to do it. The thing I know to do, I can't do. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. But there's something inside of me that just enslaves me, that just, that, that just brings me down, that weighs me down, and I feel entrapped. I try to rephrase it, I try to relabel it, but the reality, it's sin living within me. How vulnerable he is. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. I, I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the, the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Look how real and blunt and vulnerable St. Paul is to write this letter. I mean, come on. I promise you, 
if we look inside ourselves, we can relate to this. The thing I do, I hate. I know what the right thing is to do, but I, it's so hard for me to move in that direction to do. And he's, so, he's not justifying it, not giving himself excuses, not decorating it, not blaming someone else, not blaming his childhood, not blaming it on trauma. Not bl- no, no, no. It's sin. End of story, full stop. I don't, I, I, no, that's it. It's sin. It's darkness. That's it. I fell into the trap of sin. Period. I can't blame anybody else. It dwells within me. How honest and real he is. So introspective for him to be so vulnerable to these early Christians in the city of Rome. Forgive me in advance if I offend you by this. You are where you are in life because of your decisions. You are where you are because of your decisions. You had a selection of questions to ask. Will this make me happy? Is this good? Will this please someone? And you went with it. Again, forgive me. Your biggest regrets is the decision you made. Your biggest regrets, my biggest regrets, is the decision we made. But I don't mean to pull you down. Your biggest accomplishments and the, the things you, that, that you should be proud of is also a product of your decisions. But I, I want to share both sides. Sometimes we just highlight my decisions, whatever, is how well, I got to X, Y, Z. But also, our biggest regrets and biggest mistakes we've made in the past is a product of our decisions as well. And we have to take ownership of it. I want us to point us in a direction. Or, sorry, let me, th- let, me, let me put this out here. Again, I'm stating obvious. Where you will be, if, you, if you're casting a vision of where we're going to go in this series and in the future, where you will be is a product of your future deci- decisions. Where you will be is a product of your future decisions decisions. You can choose where you want to go. I I know this sounds kind of cliche. Us synergistically working with wisdom himself, you and I can make better decisions if we equip ourselves with better questions. Again, this is so elementary, what I'm sharing, but I just want us to, to start with basics as we build up in this series. That if we ask ourselves better questions, then we'll be able to have better wisdom, more wisdom, better discernment, and make better decisions and have less regret. I don't want you to wake up and say, how come no one told me? I, how did I get myself in this position? Like, I hate it when I see that in relationships. I hate it when I see that in, in, in people make life decisions. But if we can equip ourselves with better decisions, better questions, we will make better decisions. So, let me end with this. I want to share with you a very beautiful, poetic, ancient literature coming from a book of wisdom titled The Wisdom of Solomon. And this is also from the original Christian Bible, right? Some Christians might label these books that I mentioned, Book of Sirach or Book of uh, Wisdom of Solomon, they might li- label them as deutero- deuterocanonical books or apocryphal books. These are, these are just fancy words of just extra books, not part of the Bible. But for the fullness of this one holy Catholic and apostolic church, this is called the Bible. It's called the Bible. By the way, uh, not to make a plug, but I mean, if you, if you want a Bible, of course you can get the app. Uh, to, to download it, but if you want a physical Bible of the fullness of the Bible, there's tons at the connection table for those who want 
the, an Orthodox Bible. But I want to share with you. Uh, here's our bullseye. Here's the direction we're going to go for the next five weeks. And this is the direction we're all going to go for those who are in life groups. And by the way, it's not too late. We're, the, the whole idea is we're talking about us to the eight. And then I want you guys to, to digest this, talk this out in life groups. So life groups is just you sign up for a, a location that's best for you and a time that's best for you. And you will discuss this and talk this out in a very open, healthy conversation of how to make better life decisions of how can we make better life decisions, how can we gain or attain more wisdom. So here's, I'm going to share with you this very poetic literature coming from the wisdom of Solomon, which is a book in the Old Testament from the original Bible. Stick with me, because wisdom here is going to be personified. Wisdom will be personified in a female way. Wisdom is radiant and unfading and is easily perceived by those who love her. For she, wisdom, is found by those who seek her. She comes upon those who long to know her beforehand. I know you seek wisdom. He who rises early in the morning to seek her will not grow weary, for he will find her sitting at his gates. For to think deeply about her, which is wisdom, is the perfection of discernment. That, that, that last two lines again. For to think deeply about wisdom is the perfection of discernment. Imagine if we asked ourselves the question, what's the wise thing to do? Imagine if that was the question we asked when we made every, every emotional decision. What's the wise thing to do? And he who keeps watch for her, watch over wisdom, will soon be free from worry. Come on. The, you, the worry and anxiety that's on our life. But if we're pursuing wisdom, wouldn't that suppress some of the anxiety that builds up within us? For he who keeps watch for her will soon be free from worry. Because she, wisdom, goes about seeking those worthy of her. And she, wisdom, appears to them favorably in their paths and meets them in every thought. For the beginning of wisdom is a very genuine desire for instruction. This is a nasty sentence because you and I don't like instruction, right? It's my truth. It's what's best for me. This is personal. Beginning of wisdom is a very genuine desire for instruction. And I'm not telling you where you should get instruction from. No one is in the position to tell you you should not get instruction from Instagram or from that podcast or from that friend at work. No, no one has authority to tell you that. But I challenge you and I encourage you to question that maybe wisdom is not that real or that post or that blog. Maybe wisdom is your heavenly father. The beginning of wisdom another book of wisdom from, from Proverbs. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Not fear like, oh, I'm fe no, like reverence. I give honor. I know where he is. I know where I am. Maybe, maybe, maybe the wisdom that you and I want, that, 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 that less regret what we want in life, maybe, maybe that just begins of saying, I'm here. But you, wisdom, God, the author of life, is here. I want to have you more. I want to listen to you more. Maybe that. 
Maybe that. Maybe just that first step could be the first step for us making better life decisions. We'll continue this over the next four Sundays on this topic. I encourage you, if you have not already, sign up for a life group, I promise you. Because you investing in the tactics and the way to make life decisions better and to have wisdom, not only you will win, but potentially generations after you will win as well. Let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, you are the author of our lives, and nothing happens outside of you. Lord, even with our poor decisions, even with our weakness, your love never leaves us. You honor us and cherish us as your children, independent of our actions. Lord, I ask that you give us wisdom in these upcoming life groups as we guide these conversations for us to have the space to be vulnerable, for us to be open, for us to share, for us to learn how to attain wisdom and discernment, which ultimately comes from you. Because, Lord, we know that us making this investment, for us to attain the fullness of wisdom in you, not only us win, but those around us. Because, Lord, we desire to see you in a more personal, more intimate way. Lord, we ask that you come and, and be embedded in every thought, every decision, every conflict for us to attain your wisdom. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray. Thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.